0: This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. The tourism industry in the state has seen some great successes, but there are gaps and places that can't grow because of access.
1: We have to work extra hard to attract people to drive that extra hundred miles on curvy
0: roads to get here. That story and more this West Virginia Morning. Governor Jim Justice has announced a bill proposal intended to eliminate the state vehicle tax. Randy Yowie has more.
2: In a virtual announcement, Governor Jim Justice said he had a bill ready to present to the legislature. He says the Car and All Vehicle Tax Elimination and Protection of Local Government Act will do away with the state vehicle tax without amending the Constitution. All West Virginians who own a vehicle would receive a full dollar-for-dollar refund for personal property taxes paid to the county sheriffs in 2022. Justice said getting rid of the state car tax takes away the bait of voters passing Amendment 2. The amendment will give the legislature the authority to consider reforming property taxes, including the vehicle tax and the business and inventory tax. Republican Senate leaders are campaigning to pass the amendment, proposing a plan to remove the two property taxes and use surplus revenues to keep county schools and services funded. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie.
0: A key railroad labor union has voted down a deal with rail companies, again raising the possibility of a strike. As Curtis Tate reports, that could be disruptive in West Virginia.
2: Railroads
1: move West Virginia coal to the ports of Baltimore and Norfolk and Newport News, Virginia.
2: Without them, coal shipments would be stranded and couldn't reach overseas markets. A rail strike could also disrupt the movement of consumer goods from ports to retail stores just ahead of the holidays. Amtrak service in West Virginia, the Capital Limited and the Cardinal, would also be affected. The Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way employees rejected a contract that increases their pay. Rail workers say the contract doesn't go far enough to address quality of life concerns. Paid sick leave is a big one. To avoid a strike, they'll have to reach an agreement before Thanksgiving. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston.
0: The Allegheny Front, based in Pittsburgh, is a public radio program that reports on regional environmental news. Here's their latest story on the hellbender and its connection to water pollution in our region.
3: A new documentary looks at a Pennsylvania community's fight against gas development through the lens of a special resident of the township, the eastern hellbender salamander. This is the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holzapel. Since 2013, residents in Rural Grant Township, Indiana County, have been trying to stop a proposal by PGE to build an injection well where fracking wastewater contaminated with chemicals would be disposed of deep underground. I spoke with Justin Grubb and Annie Roth, directors of the film Hellbent, about the connection of that struggle with the hellbender, a species threatened by water pollution. I asked Roth about the two women who are the main characters of the story. These women are a really inspiring, like tenacious mother and daughter team. One of them is elected township supervisor. When they heard about this proposed project in their town, they were all over it. They were community organizing, they were doing the research, they were on the ground learning everything they could to make sure it wasn't a threat to their community. They're just so fiery.
0: I always have this one saying, what you allow will continue. So if we allowed it, We'll be putting in not one injection well. After it, there will be two. There will be three. So we just did what we could do and said, hey, we'll fight as long as we can. we run out of money
3: or places to fight. What What are their fears about the injection well?
1: You know, one of the biggest things about Grand Township is it's a really rural area. Most of the residents, I believe, get their water from well water. So they're getting it from groundwater. And with injection wells and all the kind of fracking activities, they go through the water table. And so there's always the risk of having your drinking water contaminated. Another one of their concerns is they had like this absolutely beautiful river running through their township. And of course, under all the rocks, you've got hellbenders.
3: Yeah, there's a real sense of wonder about this species that lives in the little Mahoning watershed. What's special about it?
1: For one, they're the largest salamander in the Western Hemisphere. Hellbenders can actually grow up to be like two feet long. One of the cool things about hellbenders is that they essentially just breathe through their skin. And so if you ever see a picture of a hellbender, they have all these crazy folds along the sides of their bodies. And that kind of motivates the name old lasagna sides. (laughs) And essentially what that does is it increases the surface area of their skin so they can maximize the oxygen diffusion across it into their
3: bodies. Hellbenders go by many names, snot otter, river wizard. And a lot of people go their whole lives, even in Pennsylvania, never seeing one. They're like a canary in a coal mine. If you have a good, healthy population of hellbenders, it means that your river or your watershed is doing pretty well.
1: Yeah, and because they breathe through their skin and they've got such permeable bodies, like Annie was saying, you know, they're so sensitive to pollutants in the water. Those pollutants kind of get absorbed in through their skin, and then that causes them to perish.
3: Why is the hellbender a symbol for this fight against gas development? The community group that formed around the injection well even called themselves the East Run Hellbenders Society.
1: Hellbenders have been around for 150 million years. They've gone through a lot of environmental changes during that time. You know, the earth has warmed and cooled and has been through a lot. And they're a resilient species. You know, they they find a way to adapt. They find a way to survive. That's kind of also embodied in the spirit of this group is that they are willing to adapt and willing to keep fighting to protect their habitat and to continue persisting in their community.
3: Justin Grubb and Annie Roth are directors of the short documentary Hellbent. More about where to see it at Alleghenyfront.org. That's the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsoppel.
0: The Allegheny Front is based in Pittsburgh and reports on regional environmental news. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.50. Mostly cloudy and breezy today, a chance of afternoon rain and thunderstorms, high temperatures in the 60s and lower 70s. Tonight, rain and thunderstorms with gusty wind, lows in the 40s and 50s, scattered rain tomorrow with highs in the 50s and 60s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torres Sava Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresSavalaw.com. is a major component in southern West Virginia's transition from a coal-based economy. As Randy Yoe reports, tourism success in the coal field seems to begin and end with a network of ATV trails. It's what's in the middle that creates the challenges.
2: For $60 a head, Keith Gibson offers tourists visiting Matewan, West Virginia, an airboat ride on the Tug River, a designated West Virginia flatwater trail.
1: I worked at the coal mines, and uh, so I've, I've had to relearn myself, you know, everything that I'm doing now is so different.
2: Nothing like a coal mine, I can tell you. With headsets and microphones on to drown out the noise, Gibson tells his passengers tales of coal mine wars. And the forbidden feud sparking love of John C. Hatfield and Rosanna McCoy, a love that began just over that Kentucky riverbank.
1: So she ended up uh, forsaking her family, giving up Hatfield, uh, or giving up McCoy secrets, helped rescue Hatfields, and that type of thing. And uh, her family ended up dishonoring her because of it.
2: Gibson says many come to his airboat tours for a respite from the choking dust of the region's popular ATV trails. But he says getting to the remote border town may call for a feud with the state legislature. We have to work extra hard to attract people to drive that extra hundred miles on curvy roads to get here. Gibson says the legislature needs to consider the challenges border counties face, with prices often lower just a bridge ride away in neighboring Kentucky. He says he was getting close to economically recovering from the pandemic, when inflation hit. they have to have somewhere to stay, they have to have something to eat, but they don't have to have an airboat ride, they don't have to have a t-shirt. Jamie Cantrell knows about border battles. Her mate Juan Trailhead Bar and Grill is just a half mile from her Hatfield hideout cabin and RV camp in McCarr, Kentucky. She says the growing tourism industry here needs much more help from the state.
4: Do some stuff with the roads to help people get here. Um, Finish Kinko Highway. I mean, we always need more lodging. There's people buying up homes and putting them on Airbnb left and right. We could use more food places.
2: With ATVs whizzing through the middle of downtown Matewan, an old coal mining bank building there has been converted into the Mine Wars Museum. Co-founder and museum board member Wilma Steele says the organization remains dedicated to correcting revisionist history.
4: When I found out the UMWA in 1920 said equal pay for blacks and whites, and that they had their members swear in, not discriminating against their brothers because of culture or speech or any of that, that blew me away. And we don't have that history, and it's not in the textbooks.
2: Steele says Maitland's growing tourism industry stems from freshly voted-in city leadership and a united community effort.
4: The more that you work as a team in a town to do something, the stronger you get.
2: A museum not too far from Maitwan, the Kimball World War I Memorial in McDowell County sits isolated and somewhat neglected. Curator Clara Thompson says this was the first and now the only remaining memorial to African-American veterans of the Great War.
4: Believe it or not, we had 1,500 uh, soldiers to go to World War I from MacDowell County. When the soldiers came back from the war, they approached the county about constructing a memorial because the white soldiers had also asked for a memorial and so they got it. They looked for a place in Welch, but there was none to be found. That's how we ended up here in Kimball.
2: Replete with outstanding displays, open part-time, and struggling to maintain board members and infrastructure, the privately funded museum works to make ends meet with a community center downstairs, offering hall and kitchen rentals. Thompson says she gets national, even global, visitors, yet the local population seems unaware of its own history.
4: Why don't the schools have the kids to come here and visit this museum? You know, I mean, that's a part of history. We could use funding so that we could advertise more, put out more brochures and things like that. But, hey, we don't have funding. And most grants, they ask for matching funds. Where are we going to get it from?
2: A local representative in the legislature, Delegate Ed Evans, agrees the state needs to do more.
1: You're right. It's not open all the time. Uh, I don't think there's a full-time employee. I think they have a a part-time. We still have a large African-American population
2: here in Kimball. Evans, a Democrat from McDowell County, says help with matching grant funds to enhance history-related tourism was an impetus for the legislature creating the Coalfield Communities Grant Facilitation Commission. Evans says the commission should be helping bolster declining coal communities like Kimball's infrastructure and helping their memorial become a desired destination.
1: I think it should have been underway immediately. We haven't funded it. I was always told it could be as much as $250 million put in there. That would be money anybody that wants to write a grant could pull down for use for matching funds.
2: West Virginia's Secretary of Economic Development, Mitch Carmichael, is the chair of the Coalfield Grant Commission. He says with much of his recent efforts going to bring major corporations to West Virginia... He hasn't formed a commission yet, hasn't found out about funding, doesn't have a timetable, but says he's committed to the process. And uh, we will be very active in
1: making sure that we're getting input from
2: the from the local groups and, uh, you know, facilitating growth in those areas. In developing southern West Virginia tourism, the haves and the have-nots seem separated right now by varying degrees of the continuing transition out of a coal-based economy. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie.
0: That was the second story in our new radio series, Country Roads The Mountain State Tourism Economy. Tune in every morning through next week to hear a new story on tourism and the challenges that come with it. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, David Adkins, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.